Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Last week, um, I was up in Knoxville. Some of you may remember the name. Some of you came after he left, but T.J. Earl was one of our former uh, student pastors, and T.J. is now in Knoxville, and he is the lead pastor at Knoxville Community Church. And so T.J. was going to be out of the pulpit last week, and he had asked me a few months ago, will you come and will you preach on this day? And so we went up there and spent some time with Knoxville Community Church and pray for Knoxville Community Church. Uh, Here at East Haven, as part of our missions giving, we help support that church plant. It is a church plant. And so they're meeting at a movie theater there in East Knoxville. And so we just want to continue to support them and put them on your prayer list. TJ, Rachel, Earl, uh, his wife, Rachel. Pray for TJ, pray for Rachel as they are leading that congregation there in Knoxville. Well, today I invite you to turn to Leviticus chapter 6. That's it, the in the Old Testament, uh, one of the first five books of the Old Testament, I always remember it this way I was taught, G.E. lights never dim. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. G.E. lights never dim. You're welcome. That's free. Um, but turn to the book of Leviticus, if you would, chapter 6, and then we're going to flip over to Hebrews chapter 9 in just a moment, but we're going to start in Leviticus chapter 6, verse 9. Command Aaron and his son, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth of the altar all night until the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and put his linen undergarment on his body, and he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar and put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments and put on other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it, and shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. Pray with me, if you would. Lord God, we come before you. We give you thanks for your word. We pray that this morning you might speak to us from your word, that you might change us, Lord, that you might teach us, that you might encourage us, and we pray that you would do that for your sake, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The book of Leviticus is a sort of a manual for Old Testament worship. It gave the duties and the responsibilities of the priests It also laid out, this is what it means to live holy lives before a holy God. And so we find that in Leviticus chapter 6, if you read through Leviticus, you find that it's one sacrifice after another and one ceremony after another. It's all about the ceremony. It's all about how how were they to approach a holy God. Now, we're not under all of these rules and regulations and structures and strictures anymore. But we find that in this time, God laid out, didn't leave anything to chance, he laid out in grand detail, very specific detail, this is how you approach me as a holy God. And so you find that Aaron, 
that's mentioned there in chapter 6, the, the beginning, chapter 6, verse 9, command Aaron and his sons. Aaron was the first formal high priest who went in to make sacrifices not only for himself, for his own sin, but also for the sins of the people. He was the intercessor. He was the go-between. And we find that God lays out all these details about what the burnt offering was to be, how it was to be conducted. And notice, and we've, in this passage, there's a couple of times that it's mentioned that the fire that was on the altar was not to go out. That fire was to remain continually burning. So every morning, wood would be stacked on there, that would start burning, and it would burn, and it would burn all night long. Some of you know the feeling where maybe you've been camping, and you've You've piled up, you've kind of banked the fire, you, maybe you rake some ashes over the fire, and then the next morning you, you push those ashes aside and you still have hot coals. Well, this is the basic idea. All day, all night, this fire was to be burning on the altar. Why was it to continually burn? Well, it was to continually burn, first of all, to show that we are in need of continual, constant repentance because we're sinful people. We live in a sinful world. It's also to show that God was always ready to forgive. God was ready to make uh, this. Uh, people, when they come to him for forgiveness, God was ready to offer that forgiveness to them. And so we find that it works both ways. It's, it relates to the grace of God, but it also relates to the sinfulness of humanity. That we are sinners in need of a Savior. We are born into sin. That we, we come into this world sinful. And so we find that these Old Testament sacrifices, God gave them to address this sinful issue, the issue of sinful humanity. But the problem was, these Old Testament sacrifices couldn't do away with the sin. They could only cover the sin for a time, because the priests continually had to make another sacrifice, and another sacrifice, and another sacrifice. Sacrifice for themselves, because they themselves were sinners, and then sacrifice on behalf of the people. And so it was a continual process of sacrifice. Therefore, the fire was to continually burn, because it was continually needed. It would be like um, if you saw a, a water spot on your ceiling. And you said, well, I've got a water spot on my ceiling in my living room, and so I'm going to get some paint, and I'm going to paint over that water spot, and that will fix the water spot. Well, then the next rain comes, and you find that it's wet again, and there's a growing water spot. The problem is there's a leak in the roof. Now, we can cover that, that water spot again and again and again, and it may, it may deal with it temporarily, but it doesn't deal with the root cause of it. And so we find in the Bible that all of these sacrifices of the Old Testament, it was sort of like putting paint on a water spot on the ceiling. It did not deal with the root cause. It just dealt, dealt with kind of the end result of it. It didn't get back to what the issue is. If you want to deal with that water spot once and for all on your ceiling, you need to first go back to the root and find where the leak is on the roof and fix the roof. And then you don't have any more water spots. So we find that because of sinful humanity and because of God's holiness, these sacrifices were put in place. And then we find in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. And so we're going to be there today in Hebrews chapter 9. So if the book of Leviticus is an outline of all the ceremony and all the, 
the, the illustration of how God is a holy God and all of the details and all of the rules and regulations and routines that ancient Israel had to go through in order to approach this holy God, we find the book of Hebrews looks back to all of those things and then says, this is what these things look like compared to Jesus. Compared to Jesus, what do these Old Testament rules and regulations, what do we make of them in light of who Jesus is? Well, the writer of Hebrews addresses this in part, and in Hebrews chapter 9, where we'll be today, starting with verse 12, the writer of Hebrews pens these words. He, that's Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So I want us to look at the sacrifice of Jesus this morning, and I want us to look at how that sacrifice of Jesus is still in effect. In a very real way, the fire has not gone out, even though we don't practice that Old Testament sacrificial system anymore, Jesus still stands ready to continually forgive. And how many of us have not at some point in time looked at our spiritual lives and thought, I should be farther along by now? Or how many of us look at certain things in our spiritual walk and we say, God, I really need to pray and seek your word about how I can deal with this particular thing that I'm really wrestling with. And it seems like whenever God begins to work in that area and you get victory in this one area, it's like a, a, another leak springs in the dam. Or, or you, you clarify your vision a little more and you say, oh, now I see that there's this issue. And so you go over and you pray and you seek God's word and you seek his will and you, you surrender to him and die to yourself and, and you're dealing with that and you get victory over there and then maybe that first thing crops back up again. And so now you're back over and you're dealing with another thing. Well, sometimes that can be very frustrating. Sometimes that can be very tiring. And sometimes you think, well, I just want to give up. There's, there's no sense in, in trying to progress because every time I, I move forward, it seems like all these other things appear. Well, that's part of being a sinful person living in a sinful world. But we can take heart knowing that Jesus is always available and Jesus, his power is always available for us to use. But not only that, his forgiveness is readily available to those who come to him in repentance. And so I just want us to look at this passage in Hebrews chapter 9 as contrasted with what went on in Leviticus chapter 6 and other passages in Leviticus. And I want us to look at the sacrifice of Jesus and how that applies to us today and be encouraged in that whenever we find ourselves in one of those places where we have to go yet again before God to ask for repentance, he is ready to forgive. And that fire in that sense never goes out. The sacrifice of Jesus, first of all, we find here in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, is completely finished. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, and, and uh, I'm sorry, let me back up. He has entered once for all into the holy places. Now, the high priest would go in offering daily sacrifices into the holy place of the temple, the outer holy place, not the most holy place, but one of the holy places within the temple. Or in the case of Leviticus, it was the tabernacle, it was sort of the mobile tent of worship that they used in the wilderness. And then later, that became permanent, a permanent location with the actual physical temple that was built. 
But we find that the, uh, the people, when they were worshiping, and the priest would go in and offer sacrifices, he would offer daily sacrifices. And then on one particular day of the year, the Day of Atonement, he would go farther into the most holy place before the Ark of the Covenant and offer a sacrifice. But whether it was a daily sacrifice or whether it was a continual once a year sacrifice in the most holy place, the high priest had to continually go in and come out and go in and come out and go in and come out. Whether it was once a year in the most holy place or whether it was daily into those outer areas. But the writer of Hebrews says the sacrifice of Jesus is completely finished. It was a once for all sacrifice. Jesus never is going to be required to go to the cross again. The cross was completely and totally fulfilling of all of the obligations. It completely and totally met the issue of sin head on by Jesus becoming a sin sacrifice for us. This is Hebrews chapter 10 verse 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Here's that same phrase again, once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. It doesn't repair the hole in the roof. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. The priests are continually standing. They're continually walking into the temple. They're continually walking into the tabernacle and offering a sacrifice. And then the next day they go back in and they offer it again. And the next day they go in and they offer it again. The writer of Hebrews says, Jesus once for all offered a single sacrifice, that is himself, and then sat down. The work was finished. He was done. He could sit down. Sat down at the right hand of the Father. The work had been accomplished. When Jesus on the cross proclaimed, it is finished, he was saying that the payment for the redemption of humans was done. It was a done deal. Nothing you can add to that by anything that you do. Nothing you can subtract from it by anything you neglect. The sacrifice of Jesus is absolutely, completely finished. And we find hints of that back in Leviticus. In Leviticus, we looked at it earlier, in Leviticus chapter 6, verse 10, it talks about the high priest putting the sacrifice on there until it was reduced, till it was reduced to ashes. That word that is used for reduced is the same word that is used elsewhere in the Bible for consumed, a total consuming of something. It's the same word that's used in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 24. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So God had said, light a fire on the altar. And they would light fires on the altar and they would pile wood up and they would pile it up and it would burn and it would stay burning all night long. But then sometimes God would just send his fire and absolutely it was not that slow process. Because you have to think about that. We, th- we think about whenever you would you would offer a burnt sacrifice, you think, okay, well, they light some, light some wood on fire, they put the animal on it, and then, boom, it's done. Think about how long that would take. Think about how long it would take to take those pieces of animal, those meat, that, that meat, and lay it on that fire, lay it on those hot coals, and let it burn, and let it, it would go from, you know, rare to, to <laughs> medium rare, and then, you know, 
meet him well and well done and then briquette and go all through all those you know all those stages some of you like your steaks at briquette level i don't understand that but um but you just you just keep cooking it down until it just it just burns up it's just consumed and it's nothing but ash and that's not just a burger or a steak he's talking about an animal burning a whole animal up imagine the smell and this was a long slow process but then you find when god sends down his fire he consumes it just as it was reduced by the priest over a long period of time here when god sends his fire it's instantaneous when god gets involved and god starts moving and god is at work then that sacrifice is instantaneously consumed just as jesus on the cross it was a final lie it was a finalized work on the cross so too when god got involved even in the old testament there's a little precursor to the absolute completion of the sacrifice even then second chronicles chapter 7 verse 1 this is a dedication of the temple of solomon as soon as solomon finished his prayer fire came down from heaven and there's the word again consumed reduced the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the lord filled the temple the sacrifice of jesus is completely finished so whenever you or falling into one of those sinful patterns, or you find something that you're struggling with, and you go, oh, I just don't know. I don't, I'm going to have to go back to Jesus yet again. Yes, run to Jesus, cast yourself upon his mercy, recognizing that work is finished. His work is completed. It's fulfilled. Secondly, the sacrifice of Jesus is internally transforming. It changes us internally it's not just outward works it's something that goes on inside and he works from the inside out look at verse 13 for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh how much more will the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to god purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living god he transforms us internally. So it's an internal transformation. It's not just God equips us to live legalistic lives. No. It's not God enables us to just be moral. No. God transforms us from the inside out. There is a heart change. There is a change of conscience. There is a change of mind. There is a change of nature. And we are changed into a new creation according to God's word. And because we're new creations, then we live, out in a, we live that life out in a different way. So many times within the church, we fall into this mode of thinking, well, these people just need to do this, this, and this. So they just need it. If they would just do that, everything would be okay. Well, no, they're not going to be okay unless they have a change of heart. Sometimes people will say, you know, I'll, I'll talk to people and they'll say, did you watch the news the other day? Well, I try not to watch as much news as I possibly can. can. I try to avoid as much as I can, but, but I want to be up, you know, uh, want to be aware of what's going on. So I'll, I'll look at the news and sometimes people will say, can you believe that this or that person or this or that group of people, can you believe they did that? I just can't believe that. Well, then my, my question is always this, are they followers of Christ? Well, no. Then why are you surprised? We should not be surprised when lost people act like lost people. We act like lost people should act like found people. Lost people are not going to act like found people because that's not who they are. That is not their nature. Now, that's not to say, well, we'll just excuse it and let it go. No, sometimes there are illegal things and there are wrong things that are done, and God's not going to let anything get past him. 
But at the same time, we need to quit being surprised by that. We also need to quit trying to, trying to tell people, well, if you just do this, this, and this, and this, and this, I can deal with you. No, what they need is the gospel. And so many times, we, uh, like we talked about the other week, we settle for behavior modification instead of heart transformation. We can't settle for behavior modification. Behavior modification isn't going to get you to heaven. I mean, you can program a computer to be moral. That doesn't mean it's going to change the, the essence of who it is or give it some sort of life. And so we find that when we get right down to it, we have to understand that the, that the work of God, the sacrifice of Christ, transforms us inside. As, as I heard a guy say one time, uh, no change, no Jesus. If a person says they've come to Christ and they haven't changed and they're just as mean and just as wicked and just as angry and just as contrary and just as grumpy and nothing ever changes and they're just as sinful and they enjoy everything they did before except now they say, I'm going to heaven. If there's no change, there's no Jesus. There's no transformation, there's no Jesus. Jesus changes us. And I know we say, oh, but we sing, you know, you know just as I am. Yes, he, Jesus loves us just as we are, but he loves us too much to keep us as we are. Whenever we come to Christ, we are transformed. You find in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Peter writes, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We have gone from being sinners separated from God to now priests of God, just as Aaron and his sons and all the Levitical priesthood over the years could go before the presence of a holy God and offer sacrifices. Now, because of the completed sacrifice of Jesus, we go before God. Now, do we offer sacrifices on behalf of our sin? No, because Jesus has already accomplished that. So what sacrifice is he talking about? We offer ourselves, we offer our very lives as a spiritual sacrifice. We are saying, God, I belong to you. I am not my own. It is your will that I'm going to follow. It is your direction that I'm going to surrender to. It's your leadership that I am up under. And so we find that it transforms us internally. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the same type of language. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, here it is, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he continues, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're to be transformed our minds, our very wills are to be transformed, but not only that, we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices. There was a young man that I taught a number of years ago in a Bible class, and I remember his name was Jody, and I remember mentioning this passage about being living sacrifices, and I remember he just raised his hand very thoughtfully, and he said, you know the problem with the living sacrifice? It always wants to crawl off the altar. I thought, Jody, that is so very good. That's the problem. We are living sacrifices. Our lives are laid out before God, and we surrender. We die to self daily, according to God's word, and then God renews us. He transforms us as we surrender to him. But we have to understand that the sacrifice of Christ transforms us. It transforms our conscience, whereas this Old Testament, this Old Testament uh, sacrifice for sin that we find, it dealt with the exterior. It dealt with the water spot on the ceiling, but it didn't change the heart. The law never changed the heart of anybody. But God's purpose that's expressed through Jesus, through the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit coming to give us new life in Christ, 
That is who transforms us into someone we were not before. We baptized Jaden this morning. Next Sunday, God willing, we'll baptize a few others from kids' camp. But whenever those kids, when they, when they came to a saving knowledge of Jesus, they may have looked the same. I always talk to uh, young people a lot of times, and I'll ask them, like, whenever you came to Jesus, did your hair color change? Well, I don't think so. Did your eye color change? Well, no. Did you grow really tall? Well, well, no. So nothing really changed in you physically? No. But something changed in you spiritually. You are not who you were. You've been given a new identity in Jesus. Your name may stay the same, but you've got a new name in heaven. Something has changed fundamentally within you for all eternity. So the sacrifice of Jesus internally transforms us. But not only that, okay, if you think I've been excited thus far, just wait, hold on. The sacrifice of Jesus is eternally applied. It's eternally applied. Look with me again back to Hebrews chapter 9. Let's look at verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And then in verse 14, how much more with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. The sacrifice of Jesus is eternally applied. Isn't that good news? It's eternally applied. You're never going to reach a place as a follower of God that you are out from under the sacrifice of Jesus. It is applied eternally. I'm reminded that the only man-made things in heaven, the only man-made things in heaven are the scars that Jesus bears. The scars that are still there, according to the Bible. So he still has those scars. The only man-made thing in heaven are the scars as a reminder that his sacrifice is eternally applied. It never runs out. It is always there. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, Paul writes, Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Just as the high priest was that intercessor in the Old Testament, that high priest was the go-between. That high priest was the one who would go in and represent the people before God, and then he would come out and represent God before the people. Not that he was divine, he was human just like anyone else. But that high priest was the intercessor. That high priest was the mediator. That high priest was the go-between, who would go before God and offer the sacrifices. He says that Jesus, Jesus is the high priest who's alive, who's always interceding who's at the right hand of God the Father. I heard one time that illustration of of Satan being the accuser of the brethren, as the Bible refers to him, who day and night is before God accusing the brethren. Think about that, and the cistern. (laughs) But think about that. You mess up. You say something you shouldn't have said. You even think something you shouldn't have thought. You entertain some sort of notion. Your mind starts going down some, some, uh, some wrong path. And Satan says, do you see that? That's one of yours. Do you see that? That's that's the best they can do. Do you call that worship? That's what they, that is is the way they're coming for you. They act like they can live any way they want to live. Do you realize, God, I mean, does that not disgust you? And you know what Jesus does? It's paid for. It's paid for. It's paid for. It's paid for. 
He continually intercedes for us at the right hand of God the Father. You pray, God hears those prayers. Jesus intercedes for us. He is the go-between. He is the one who is the eternal mediator, the eternal intercessor. He is the one for whom we can, to whom we can look to recognizing his sacrifice is not a sacrifice that has to be repeated. His sacrifice is not a one that was insufficient in and of itself. His sacrifice is not one of those that we say, well, but you know, there were some things that were lacking that I have to do in order to make up for it. No, his sacrifice is finished completely, but it's also eternally applied to his own. He's our intercessor. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I love that phrase. He is able to save to the uttermost. There is not a part of your life as a follower of Christ that Jesus looks at and says, well, that's one part I'm not going to redeem. No, he's going to save to the uttermost. Whatever the farthest boundary of your life is as a follower of Christ that you say, that's an area I struggle with. That's an area I have to deal with. That's an area I just don't know. I don't know how to make heads or tails out of it. It's out there on the, the, the hinterlands of my spiritual walk, my spiritual life. It's out there and I just don't know how to deal with it. God says, I'm going to deal with that too. I am able to say, he's able to save to the uttermost, not just in the scope of our lives, but in the scope of all eternity. He saves us for all eternity. It's eternally applied. That's an incredible encouragement to us. Oh God, I just, I, I just, I, I'm wrestling with this. I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time with this. Oh God, I just, I just don't know. And now I'm having to come to you yet again. And God says, come to me, come to me because it's eternally applied. We're talking in the men's small group on Tuesday morning. We were talking about this. We're actually working through the book of Hebrews. And so we're early on in the book of Hebrews. And as we're walking through it, we were talking the other week. And we were talking about how whenever you, you recognize some sin in your life and you go before God and you cast yourself upon his mercy and you recognize that Jesus paid that eternal price and that that sacrifice is fully sufficient and you cast yourself on his mercy and you're forgiven and you start growing like we talked about earlier, then you look around and you realize, whoa, there are some other areas that I didn't see before. I didn't see those areas. I didn't see that area where God needs to do some work there. And so you go a little deeper and you think, wow, I've, I've reached a point now that I've, I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm walking so closely with God. And then you look around and you realize in light of that, that deeper revelation of the holiness of God, you recognize again, just how far short you fall. That's why when I talk to people sometimes and they say, everything's good between me and God. I, don't, I never wrestle with anything. I'm thinking, you just don't know God well enough. You draw close enough to God and you start recognizing some things. It's like being in a, it's like being in a dark room and looking at your clothes in a mirror in a dark room and saying, I think things are pretty good. I think things are pretty matched up. I think things work well. And then you turn on the light and you realize, oh, wait a minute, I'm not matched up. And then you get the light get it brighter and you realize well my, my clothes have some stains on them and you get a little brighter and you realize uh you know uh, all sorts of things are wrong you know you may realize you know rips or tears or loose threads or all sorts of other stuff but it's just a matter of how bright the light is that gives you that revelation and the closer you draw to a holy god the more you're going to see your own sinfulness and you start realizing woe is me just how sinful i am in the light of a holy god 
But his sacrifice is eternally applied. So it's completely finished. It's internally transforming. It's eternally applied. And here's one of the keys. It's individually received. It's individually received. That high priest, even though that high priest in the Old Testament, when he went in to offer sacrifices, he offered them for all the people. He also offered sacrifices specifically for himself because he was a sinner who needed to be cleansed before God before he could stand in the gap and offer sacrifices for everybody else. But we find Jesus once for all paid that sacrifice and Jesus as our high priest has paid that sacrifice, not only as the priest, but also as the sacrifice himself. So he's met those requirements And so now we find that we don't receive Christ as just a group. We don't receive Christ corporately. You don't find, oh, well, this whole group of people, you know, they're all in this one area, so Jesus is just going to, boom, they're all okay. No, it's individually received. We receive that gift of salvation individually. I want us to just look at one word. It's in verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to, here's the word, serve the living God. Now that word serve in that particular case can be translated in the sense of a servant, someone who serves someone else. But it's also the same word that is used of priestly service. And so the writer of Hebrews is drawing a line because we do understand what he's talking about here. He's talking about the priesthood. But here he says, he purifies our conscience from those dead works, just doing the moralistic, legalistic thing, trying to paint over that that water spot again and again and again. He purifies us so that we can serve God the living God. Individually, granted corporately, we serve him, absolutely, but we serve him individually. We are each made priests, and so we serve God individually. We looked at it earlier when there's the dedication of the temple in Solomon's day. Fire comes down from heaven and dwells there in the place, dwells there in the temple. We find that God led his people by a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day through the wilderness. And so this presence of God, the manifest presence of the holiness of God showing up there in the temple when Solomon dedicates the temple. Not only did the fire come down, not only did it come down and consume the sacrifice, but we find that the glory of God, the fire of God dwelt there in the temple to manifest his presence before the people saying, this is the place where I am going to dwell. This is the place I am calling home on earth, so to speak. Not that God vacated the throne room of heaven. It wasn't that when God's presence was following them or leading them in the wilderness, it wasn't that the angels were like, well, you know, there's nobody on the throne now. That's not the way it works, okay? But we find that God's presence is seen through this fire in the temple where the people were going to worship. And we find over in the book of Acts, at the birthday of the church, at Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, verse 3, it says, And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. 
So it wasn't just the presence of God showing up in fire at the temple and making his presence known as saying, here in the temple, here's my presence, one big column of fire revealing his glory. No, his glory, his presence, that fire was distributed among all the believers because the Holy Spirit had made each one of them a priest before God to come and offer their own lives, their own bodies as sacrifices to God himself. We ourselves, our bodies become the dwelling place of God. We become the temple. Individually, the temple of God. Corporately, temple of God. And so we find that that fire never goes out. That fire of the sacrifice of Jesus that it was made when the fire fell, so to speak, and Jesus died, that fire, that, that sacrifice, so to speak, is still in effect. But we receive it individually. We receive his spirit individually. We receive salvation individually. And then in doing so, we go and we offer ourselves, our lives before God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. We offer our sacrifices to God in worship, that is ourselves, our very lives, because we recognize God is a holy God, and he is worthy of that honor, and he's worthy of that praise. So if that is something that you have, you've never done, you've never received the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us on behalf of our sin, if you've never received that individually, let today be that day. You say, God, I've been trying to do it myself. I've been trying to cover that water spot on the ceiling by good works and by avoiding certain things and by, by, by saying the right thing at the right time and just going to church and doing these things. But you've never dealt with the root cause. That is, you've never dealt with that leak in the roof. You've never dealt with the sin problem at its core by allowing Jesus to apply his sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection to that individualized, that personal sin in your life. Let today be the day that you go before him and ask for forgiveness. He is willing to forgive. Forgiveness is completely and totally available through the sacrifice of Jesus. Let today be that day. And maybe you'd sit here today and you would say, you know, I'm just wrestling. I'm wrestling with something. I've been wrestling with this and then I deal with this and I have to wrestle with something else and I have to wrestle with this sinful pattern and wrestle with that. Can I just tell you, continually take that to God. Now, that's not an excuse. That's not saying we're trying to cheapen grace. Well, I'm going to, you know, I, I had a guy come to me one time and uh, he sat down with me and he said, well, I know what I'm going to do and I'm going to do this. And I know it's a sin, but I'm just going to ask for forgiveness later. And I said, you better watch yourself because you're, you're cheapening grace and somebody who's willing to cheapen grace like that may have never experienced the true richness of grace to begin with. So be careful with that. Don't do that. Now we're talking about cheap grace. We're talking about grace that is abundant and that is available whenever you come before God. He is willing to forgive. He is able to forgive because that fire does not go out. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks for your word. God, we give you thanks that we can come before you and we can seek forgiveness and we can find forgiveness that you give through the person of Jesus through his work, through his death on the cross, a death that we deserved, 
lived a, he lived a sinless life, but he died a sinner's death, the death that each one of us individually deserved, and then was buried and then rose again on the third day, showing that you were completely satisfied with that sacrifice. Sacrifice is once for all. He sat down at your right hand. He no longer has to make sacrifice for sin. It's been dealt with. And so, Father, I pray if there's anybody here, anybody watching or listening, either now or later, and they've been, they've been wrestling with trying to deal with sin themselves by their own power, by their own good works, by their own deeds, by their own avoidance of things that they think they should avoid, and they want to be declared righteous in that way, we recognize that no one is declared righteous by our works. It's a gift from you. It is, it is grace. And so, Father, we pray that you might give us a holy boldness to make you known in that way. But, Father, I pray if there's anybody here who does not know you, that they would let today be that day. They receive you individually. Receive that sacrifice, the blessings of salvation this morning. Father, I pray for anybody here that maybe is wrestling, wrestling with some pattern, wrestling with some some pet sin they're, they're just dealing with on a daily basis. Father, I pray that by your word, through your spirit, that you would give them direction, you would give them strength to have victory over that. And Father, we pray when those other issues arise, as we grow closer in our walk with you, and you reveal more of your holiness to us, and we see more of ourselves as who we are in need of being fully redeemed, and, and fully sanctified. Father, we pray that those areas of our life, that we would turn those over to you, recognizing that you will save us to the uttermost. And so, Father, we pray that you would have your will and your way, not only in the next few moments of decision, but, Father, as, as we leave this place, recognizing that your invitation doesn't stop just here. Father, if you're dealing with somebody's heart and somebody's mind, they can walk out of this worship center, but Lord God, they can't run from your presence. They can't flee from you. So Father, I pray that they would recognize it doesn't have to be right here, right now. But as you call, as you lead, as you draw, Father, that they would respond. Whether that's right here in this moment, or whether it's one o'clock tomorrow morning, Father, we pray you'd have your will done. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.